Bill Lawrence writes in his excellent book entitled Effective Pastoring, the four symptoms that Jesus' apostles demonstrated during their training by him. The term I want you to come to know is leader's disease. L-D, leader's disease. Now let me ask you, like the apostles of old sitting under the feet of Jesus, do you have leader's disease? There are four symptoms, so we can diagnose if you have it as well. Number one, careerism marked by selfish ambition and shameful competition. Uh, these apostles of Jesus originally were trying to climb the corporate ladder. Uh, Mark nine thirty to 34 says that they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. Number two, shameless use of power. That's Mark chapter 10, 32 to 35. There we see James and John coming to Jesus. And when you coordinate this with Matthew 20, it's the mother of James and John also who is with them. Uh, by the way, the mother of James and John, Salome, uh, is the sister of Mary. So as they come to Jesus, we have nepotism going on because, if you will, they are family. And they want to sit on the right and the left in his kingdom. Uh, number three, insensitive arrogance. Uh, in Luke twenty-two fourteen through 24, Jesus celebrates the Passover with his disciples. But keep in mind, he is about to die at this point of his ministry. But there was rivalry among them who would be the greatest. Imagine, Jesus is preparing to die and they're still discussing and debating who would be the greatest among them. The fourth symptom, blind self-confidence. Mark 14, 27 through 31. Jesus predicts that his disciples and Peter will deny him. And what did all of them do? They say, that's not going to happen, Lord. Now, turn with me to Revelation chapter 13. We are about to study the life of the Antichrist. He is the apex. He is the height of someone with dreaded LD, leader's disease. Revelation chapter 13. And let me hurl a focus question to you. How can you avoid catching the dreaded leader's disease? How can you not catch what the apostles of old had had and then hear what the Antichrist will model in the future? Now before I read Revelation 13, 1 through 10. Let me bring you up to date. With Revelation 12, we enter the time of Jacob's trouble. That's Jeremiah 30 and verse 7, which is the second half of the tribulation period. Jesus, in Matthew 24, refers to this period as the great tribulation. To begin the tribulation, the Antichrist had made a covenant with the nation of Israel. 
But in the middle of that covenant, he breaks it. That's the midpoint. So in Revelation 12, we're taken to the throne room of God where Satan is expelled. He will no longer have access to the presence of God like he did from what we see in the book of Job to give an account of himself. So Satan is kicked out of heaven by Michael and his angels. He comes to the earth and he knows his time is short. So he ramps up his attacks. We transition to chapter 13 because we need to see the primary players behind Satan, or if you will, behind the Antichrist and the false prophet. That's what we're going to see in chapters 13. First, we're going to study about the Antichrist and then the false prophet. Who is behind them? Satan. So that's what we are about to study today. Let me read to you Revelation 13, verses 1 through 10. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority." And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth and blasphemed against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Join me in prayer. Father, it's so easy to be self-centered, but yet Jesus tells us, that if we are to follow him, we need to deny ourselves to be co-crucified with Christ. Father, clearly the apostles early on missed that. Likewise, the future Antichrist is the epitome of someone with leader's disease. May we learn, Lord, not only about this future ruler, the Antichrist, but also understand how you want us to follow your son's model to be the servant or slave of all. Bless our time. Turn on the light so we can understand the amazing teaching here in Revelation 13, 1 to 10. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin, I'm going to give you uh, a number of F words. The first one is features. Features. In Revelation 13, 1 through 2, we see the features 
of the Antichrist. John reports for us, verse 1, Then I stood on the sand of the sea. Uh, the sea here uh, can uh, many interpret as the sea of humanity. And you say, well, where did they come up with that? Well, flip over to Revelation chapter 17 and let your eyes come down to verse 15. 17, 15. Speaking of the future destruction of Babylon, then he said to me, the waters which you saw, where the harlot sits, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. But I'd like to point out to you that our passage today connects back to Daniel chapter 7. And the text in Daniel chapter 7 is speaking about the literal Mediterranean Sea. And I think that's a better understanding of what is before us here today. And by the way, we'll be turning to Daniel chapter 7 in just a little while. So when John is standing by the sea, he's literally standing by the sea, which is the Mediterranean And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. Now, two things I want to point out about this beast from our text. Number one, he receives worldwide worship. Still in chapter 13, come down to verse 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. So he has global worship, we see. And then also the second aspect I'd like you to understand is that he is a man. Revelation 13, 18. 13, 18. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a, give me the word, right? Man. His number is 666. Further, uh, back here in chapter 13, he's described as having seven heads and ten horns. I want you to observe here that he is connected by this description to Satan. Because back in chapter 12 of Revelation, verse 3, 12, 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his heads. Um, We'll get into the interpretation of this as we transition into Revelation 17, but you need to understand that we're talking about future kings and kingdoms that pertain to the tribulation period, but we'll get the details of the interpretation in the future. Also here, the Antichrist is described Uh, that he had on his horns ten crowns. Now, first of all, I'd like to point out to you the aspect of a horn, because that doesn't make a lot of sense to us, perhaps, in modern-day America. Back in biblical times, a horn showed strength. You think of an animal horn, and when an animal was going to charge someone, it put his head down, pointed his horn or horns at the individual, and started to run. Uh, Speaking of the Lord in Psalm 18, in verse 2, David says, my shield and the horn, see the strength of my salvation. So the horn here is a symbol of power. The Antichrist has great power. Notice also on his horns, ten crowns. The Greek term here is diademata. 
uh, diadems. Uh, by the way, this is the imitation Christ if you will, because when Jesus comes back the second time, Revelation 19, down in verse 12, on his head will be many crowns, many diadems. So we have the imitation here, and it only gets more clear as we study the text that the Antichrist is the imitation Christ in many regards. Continues with me now. And on his heads, a blasphemous name, a blasphemous name. Notice that the Antichrist will be given to blasphemy. Let me just touch on this for you. Verses five and six. And he was given a mouth speaking great things, and notice their description here, and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months, see three and a half years, the second half of the tribulation. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. So we start to see the characteristics here of the Antichrist. He's a blasphemer. Now, let me just read to you Revelation 13 and verse 2, and why don't you turn to Daniel chapter 7. So you turn Daniel chapter 7, and let me read you Revelation 13 too. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. So we have a leopard, a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. Okay, notice the description there. Now in Daniel chapter 7, this was the passage I referred to earlier that talks about the Mediterranean Sea. Now I'm going to work according to the order of the animals given in Revelation 13, 2. So come down with me to Daniel chapter 7. This is Daniel 7, now verse 6. Speaking about a future kingdom here, we're going to see three kingdoms actually. After this I looked, and there was another like a leopard, okay? You connected now? which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And by the way, as we look at these uh, first three kingdoms, the scripture identifies those kingdoms, but it does not identify the fourth kingdom. Uh, This would correspond with Greece. So we have the leopard in 7.6, and now in 7.5, here in Daniel 7.5, observe the bear. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear. It was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, arise, devour much flesh. Okay, so now we have, if you will, the second kingdom described. It's actually a combination kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. And now in Daniel 7 in verse 4, observe the lion. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off And it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. This is referring to the kingdom of Babylon. So why is it that in Revelation 13 and verse 2, as we are looking 
at the features of the Antichrist do we have these three kingdoms referred to. And the point I'd like to make to you is this, is that the Antichrist basically possesses the, the characteristics or attributes of these three world powers. Whew. He's going to be quite a power broker. Will he not? Come back with me to Revelation 13, please. Revelation 13. And notice here at the end of verse 2, you have to understand who is energizing the Antichrist and the dragon. The dragon is Satan from back in Revelation 12 and verse 9. And the dragon gave him his power, notice this, his throne and great authority. So Satan is behind the Antichrist. He is the one who enables him to do the dastardly things he does. So in verses 1 and 2, we see the features of the Antichrist. And now, in verses 3 and 4, we see the fame. That's our second F word, the fame of the Antichrist. Look at verse 3, and there's been much speculation about the interpretation of this, but I think it's rather clear, and we'll work through this together. I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. So when people see here wounded, they think, oh, the Antichrist is injured, but does not die, but pretends to come back to life. But I want to point out that the verb here, wounded, means to be slain. The idea here is that the Antichrist actually dies. The same term is used in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12 of Cain slain his brother. It's also used in the same book, the book of Revelation of Jesus. So go back with me to Revelation chapter 5, and we're going to look at three references. Revelation chapter 5. Uh, first of all, come down to verse 6. And what we want to see is the term is referring to the Antichrist dying in the same way it's used consistently in the New Testament. You with me there? Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, Jesus Christ, as though it had been, what's our term here? Slain. Okay. Jesus, the one who had died, is now postured as standing while he overcame death, but he had died. Still in Revelation chapter 5, uh, we've just looked at verse 6, now down to verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. Again, another reference to the death of Jesus Christ. And then finally, chapter 5, down in verse 12. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And then the seven attributes are, are attributed to Jesus Christ at that point. So back with me to chapter 13, please. But I want you to see that the Antichrist suffers a blow and dies. And then it goes on to say in verse 3, and his deadly wound was healed. This is the imitation resurrection. 
See, we have the unholy trinity given to us in Revelation 12 and 13. First of all, Satan. Uh, Then we have the Antichrist. And then we'll have the false prophet imitating Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Sheer blasphemy that is given here. And what is the result of, if you will, the resurrection of the Antichrist, the end of verse 3? And all the world marveled and followed the beast. That's the worldwide worship that I spoke about earlier. Verse 4 continues. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. Amazing how this works. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 20, speaking about idols, it says behind the idols are demons. Well, in the same way, behind the Antichrist is Satan. So the dragon here is getting the accolades, the worship that he's always desired. And they worship to be saying, and notice the questions here, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Uh, This parallels Exodus chapter 15, our, our first song in the Bible, if you will. When Miriam leads the nation in song, and there we have the question that is being asked in Exodus 15, 11, who is like you, O Lord? See, the Antichrist will receive the same kind of praise that Almighty God has been given, and this is the goal of the dragon. This is the goal of the Antichrist, and also it is the goal of the false prophet. So we've looked at the features of the Antichrist, the fame, worldwide adoration and worship, and now we see the fierceness in verses 5 through 7. The fierceness. Verse 5, and I read this earlier, but we're going to go in more detail here. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and what? blasphemies blasphemies uh, turn with me to second thessalonians chapter 2 please i've been writing a series of commentaries called the fire series i'm i'm currently uh writing now first and second thessalonians on fire fascinating uh couplet here these books speak often about the imminent return of Christ. Actually, in 1 Thessalonians, with each chapter comes a reference to the return of Jesus Christ. Now, in 2 Thessalonians, there had been some misunderstanding about the rapture where these individuals thought that they had missed the rapture and now were in the tribulation. Picking it up with me, please. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, referring here to the rapture, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter. And notice this, as if from us. There was some kind of, if you will, revelation, prophecy, letter that had come to these individuals stating that they had missed a rapture and were now in the day 
of the Lord or the day of Christ. And they're rattled. <laughs> uh, later at the, uh, the culmination of the epistle, Paul says, I'm, I'm signing this letter with my own hand. He wanted to make sure that they understood that he was sending them the genuine article, if you will. Now, picking it up here, Second Thessalonians, look at 2-3 with me. Let no one deceive you by any means for that day, see uh, the day of the Lord, the tribulation period, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. So as we are looking into the tribulation period, there will be a falling away that will take place, an apostasy that will occur. But keep the timing here. We're looking at the day of the Lord, and we'll see some of these uh, thoughts back what Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 24, because there'll be many deceivers trying to pull away the genuine believers from the Lord. So you have the falling away comes first, and then the man of sin, the Antichrist is revealed. And notice how he is described here. He is the son of perdition. He is the son belonging to the category of perdition or destruction. Continuing now with me in verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. You see the dreaded leaders disease everybody or that is worship so that he sits as god in the temple of god that future temple that will be built in jerusalem showing himself that he is god what i just want to draw your attention to is the nature of the antichrist he is fierce he's going to tell the world that they need to worship him and that is all coming in that future tribulation period so now back with me please revelation chapter 13 revelation 13 so he's given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and notice the second half of verse 5 revelation 13 5 and he was given you just want to draw your attention to the words was given right Because we keep seeing those little words throughout the book of Revelation. See, there's power granted to the power brokers for a period of time. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. That is the second half of the tribulation, and then his time will be over. And we'll see why in just a little bit. Verse 6. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God. He verbally assaults the God of heaven. Imagine the audacity of this one. He goes on in verse 6 to blaspheme his name. And yeah, blasphemy is kind of a little difficult to describe fully. But I used to define it as to desecrate what is sacred. If you will, to pollute, contaminate or debase that which is sacred. You're taking that which is set apart, which is holy, and if you will, throwing it in a gutter. That's exactly what the Antichrist is doing. So he blasphemes the name of God, which represents his person. His tabernacle, according to Revelation 15, 5, here we're probably talking about his tabernacle where he's dwelling in heaven. 
and those who dwell in heaven. Even the saints with the Lord are being blasphemed at this time. Verse 7. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints, but notice as well, to overcome them. So who are the saints? Well, let me describe some of them. You have the two witnesses. Revelation chapter 11. I believe that they'll be ministering in the second half of the tribulation period, but ultimately what happens to them, they are slain. So you have the two witnesses. Then we have the 144,000 witnesses. Remember right back in Revelation 7, but yet we will see as we turn a few pages and go to Revelation 14 that the 144,000 Jewish evangelists, all male, will be martyred and will be depicted as being with the Lord. And then for those saints that could not get to the mountains, remember in chapter 12, we see the Israelites running away to the mountains. Why? Because the abomination of desolation, which we'll get into next week, is set up. The idol that comes to life. So there is a persecution of those who identify with Jesus Christ to the point of killing them. So he makes war with them and he overcomes them. And authority was given him over every tribe. Notice how this is global. Tongue and nation. He has broad authority for that limited period of time. So as we have looked at the features, the fame, and the fierceness of the Antichrist, here's a footnote, a footnote in verses 8 through 10. Let me read verse 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. So what is it that causes these people to worship him? Let me build upon what we've already seen here in Revelation 13. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24 called the Olivet Discourse. The disciples are with Jesus and they're showing Jesus not only the temple, but all the buildings that go with it and how spectacular it is since Herod the Great had added to the initial holy place and holy of holies with all these different buildings. And Jesus basically says there's going to come a day when one stone is not going to be standing upon another. And they are shocked. But he transitions them to the future time, which paralleled with Revelation chapter 6, the tribulation period. Jesus parallels in his teaching with Revelation 6, showing the first half of the tribulation. Now, with this said, uh, come down with me to Matthew 24, verse 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one, give me the term, deceives you. Right? There's going to be a falling away. We saw that an apostasy according to Second Thessalonians that will take place in the tribulation. And by the way, even in the church age, there's an apostasy as well. And we learn that from Second Timothy 3 and First Timothy 4, but that's not the point here. Take heed that no one deceives you. Notice at this future time, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And will do what? deceive many. I want you to see the persuasive powers 
of the Antichrist who is energized by the dragon, Satan. Still here in Matthew 24. Come now with me to verse 24. 24, 24. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So you can see that even in the beginning of the tribulation period, there's going to be this deception. And it's only going to get worse as the tribulation period goes on. Let me build upon that. We were in 2 Thessalonians 2 before. Turn back there once again. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And now come down to verse 9. Because see, when Jesus Christ comes back the second time and he puts down his enemies, he's also going to put down the Antichrist. That's what we see in 2 Thessalonians 2.8. But now in 2.9, I just want to emphasize the global deception that will take place. The coming of the lawless one, that's the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan. Isn't that what we're seeing in Revelation 12 and in Revelation 13? With all power, signs, and line wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. See, because they didn't want the truth of the gospel, they didn't want the preaching of the 144,000 witnesses or the two witnesses or even the angel flying across the sky preaching the everlasting gospel. That's Revelation 14. They wanted to buy into the deception of this world. That's what they did. And for this reason, see verse 11, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. What? That the Antichrist, if you will, is God. They're going to buy into that. Now, with this said, come back with me. Back to our footnote, remember? Our footnote. (laughs) And uh, let your eyes come down to verse 9. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. And you're thinking at this point, hey, there's some words missing. Right? Because as we studied the seven churches, to each church it says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to whom? The churches. But guess what? The church has been raptured by this time. So that's why those words are not included here because we're moving through the tribulation period and the church had been raptured. Wasn't that the promise? of Revelation 3.10 to the church of Philadelphia and the promise that goes to them goes to all. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will keep you from the hour of trial that will come upon the whole world. The promise that the saints will not enter the tribulation. That's why we have these words. And by the way, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. I think this is an introduction to what has taken place in verse 10. Verse 10 says, He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. Uh, let me give you a literal Greek rendition here. This should be literally translated, if anyone leads. If anyone leads. The context is that of the Antichrist. 
the warning here is to the Antichrist. See, some Greek manuscripts have this differently. And uh, for instance, in the NASB, it says if anyone is destined for captivity. In other words, if you're going into captivity on the Antichrist, just go into captivity. But yet, that's not the tenor of what we've seen in the book of Revelation. In chapter 12, we see Israel fleeing to the mountains, running. Remember what Jesus himself taught in Matthew chapter 24? That when you see the abomination of desolation set up in the temple, run! So, I believe that this is a warning to the Antichrist. Notice it continues here, he who kills with the sword must be killed. Uh, Once again, let me give you a better translation. If anyone kills with the sword, see, this is the lex talionis, the law of retribution. The concept from the Old Testament that you have an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What is being stated, I believe, clearly here in Revelation 13.10 is the warning to the Antichrist. That if you do these things to my people, then this is what you can expect. And then the exhortation to the saints to close out our passage. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. In other words, be patient. The Antichrist will get his due. Now, let's go back to the beginning of the sermon. The Antichrist, yet future, will have the dreaded leader's disease, LD. Let me give you four reasons why from our text today. Remember, number one, it was careerism marked by selfish ambition and shameful competition. Listen to Revelation 13, 4. Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? If you will, the beast is competing with Christ. I think that's uh, selfish ambition. Would you not agree? Second of all, we have shameless use of power. Revelation 13, 7 says that he, the Antichrist, made war with the saints and did what overcame them. He abuses his power. Number three, insensitive arrogance. What does he do in Revelation 13, 5 and 6? He blasphemes God. Now that's insensitive arrogance. In other words, the Antichrist is saying, life's about me. And in number four, blind self-confidence. Revelation 13, 10, the one who kills must be killed. In essence, his self-confidence leads to his destruction. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. What is our main point for today's message? I'll share it right here. Forsake self-glorification because disaster follows. Forsake self-glorification because disaster follows. How can you, how can I, avoid having the dreaded leader's disease? I'd like to close 
out our time together today from Matthew chapter 20. Let's just go to Matthew chapter 20 together. Matthew chapter 20, down in verse 17, Jesus is going to Jerusalem with his disciples and he tells them ever so clearly that the Son of Man will be betrayed into the chief, betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and to crucify <laughs> in no parabolic terms. Jesus doesn't speak a parable. He says, this is what's going to happen to me. And then he goes on, and I will rise again. But notice in Matthew 20, 20, see the first word, then. This is not the conjunction, chi, and. This is tate, which is the word that means at this time. You talk about insensitivity. Jesus has just told his 12 that he is going to suffer and be barbarically murdered. Then they come and, oh, forget about that, Jesus, and what you're about to suffer. This is what we want. And here comes the mother of Zebedee's sons. And it says in verse 20, kneeling down, number two, asking. Both feminine participles. She is the one kneeling down and asking. Now, when you couple this, with Mark chapter 10, we see James and John are in on the plot, so to speak. But it's amazing here because the idea is for James and John to sit on Jesus' right and left hand. Recall, everybody, this is about the end of Jesus' ministry. These disciples have been with them three and a half years, and all they're thinking about is climbing the corporate ladder. They beat the other ten <laughs> to Jesus because the others get upset at them later. Not because of what they want. They were just probably upset that they didn't get there first. So how do we overcome the dreaded leader's disease? Let's close out the passage together. Verse 26, Matthew 20, 26. After Jesus describes the Gentile lords who suppress those under them, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. You want to be great? You want to be great? Become a servant to all. And, and by the way, Jesus never condemns his followers for wanting greatness. But yet he did confront them on how they wanted to be great. Look at verse 27. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your doulos, your slave. You want to be great? Take up the towel, wash the disciples' feet. <laughs> Take up the towel, become the slave to all. Isn't that what Christ did? Because down in verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, so many lazy people, so many individuals that just always want to be waited upon. Jesus says, no, that's not my mode of operation. I've come to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And by the way, when you look up um, the idiom there uh, for many in Isaiah 53, then it says the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So there's this large and indefinite number of people for whom Christ died. And then we see very clearly from Isaiah 53 that the Lord, the Father, has laid on him, Jesus, 
the iniquity, the sin of all of us. Amazing, Christ died for all. He became the servant of all. So, to avoid becoming like the apostles early in their ministry or like the Antichrist, you need to have the mindset of a servant. You need to imitate Jesus Christ who became the servant or the slave of all. Forsake self-glorification because disaster follows. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the profound teaching in Revelation 13. And Lord, I pray that for the church of Jesus Christ, we would get beyond ourselves and not imitate the apostles who continued to have such a selfish worldview until your son died and conquered death. Father, may we, as they learned eventually, become servants of all, that we don't get the, let, the dreaded leader's disease. Help us, Lord, to imitate your son by giving our life away. Father, you have told us in your word that we are to be servants, and I pray, oh, how I pray, that we would forsake our self-glorification and exalt the one by serving others who gave himself for us. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.